0: really good to be back with you again, to see all of you that I know and meet some of you that I don't. Look forward to meeting you afterwards today. Please, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. I understand you're in a series on the book of John, the gospel of John. This is the same John who wrote three letters to the churches that he provided oversight for, and this first epistle of John chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 16 through 24, 1 John 3, 16 through 24, says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother's. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater. just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. I want to read that last sentence again. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. A message this morning is titled, His Abiding Presence. And it comes with a question. Please write this question down. How do we know God is with us? How do we know God is with us? Perhaps you came in this morning saying, how do I know who God is? How do I know where God is? How do I know why I'm in this room hearing about God? Well, I want to preach a message to Believers, and if you would not consider yourself a believer, I want you to listen in to what I have to say to believers because I believe God wants to help us interact with this question how do we know God is with us? So I want to propose two main reasons we know God abides with us. Number one, He is for us. Number two, He is in us. Two main points. God is for us, and God is in us. Let's pray. God, we come with a question this morning because we are your sons and daughters. And the answer really is already so simple. Father, thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, shine light on the Word of God and glorify Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Whenever we read the Bible, we see that it's full of words. And those words have meaning. Full of words. Not just spoken. Not just spoken by John this morning, but breathed out. Exhaled by God. These aren't just John's words. He recorded down. These are God's words. John recorded. And... It is important for us to consider what these words that we just read mean so that we can rightly respond in worship to God's will for our lives. So we're going to spend some time examining what these words mean and then we're going to stand up and respond in worship again as we conclude. Because I find, and, and I have thought often about this, uh, not sure why I haven't done it yet, but uh, we've been talking in Orlando about even beginning with a sermon and ending with an extended time of worship because this is where we hear the information that needs to inform our worship. Worship isn't something we start. It's all a matter of the heart. God initiated His own glory and He has provided a way for us this morning to respond to Him to hear the truth that He's prepared for us, and then to yell out with fresh conviction, I know you're with me. No doubts, and I want to be reassured. So let us reassure our hearts. We want to rightly respond to God's will for our lives. There's so much we can learn about God as we read these words, and there's so much help for us from God as we read. You know, words, palabras, can get us into trouble. Can't they? Especially if you think you're right, but in reality, it becomes very clear that you are misinformed. In the midst of World War II, with everybody's tensions running very high, off the eastern seaboard of the United States, one dark and foggy night a captain sighted out ahead just off the starboard side the beacon of another ship the two ships would very soon collide adjust your course 10 degrees to the north he radioed ahead and much to his amazement the ship replied instead Adjust your course ten degrees to the south. The captain felt a chill. His eyes grew cold and narrowed, and the two drew closer still. I'm the captain of this vessel, and this is a command. Adjust your course ten degrees to the north, or receive a reprimand. Again, the voice replied as calm as. And as smooth as glass, adjust your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a seaman, second class. I'm a U.S. naval destroyer, the captain snapped with a shout. Now adjust your course 10 degrees, no discussion, over and out. They drew unnervingly closer, his eyes fixed on the light, this time. The voice ripped through the air like lightning tears the night. I am the lighthouse. I am the lighthouse. The path you choose is perilous. Destruction lies ahead if you delay. But if you trust me, I will lead you through safely. Adjust your course, and you'll be on your way. I'm the lighthouse. And then the writer of this poem says, How many years will a man stay blind before he learns to see? And how many doors will a man kick down while I offer him the key? And as I begin to light the way, will he fail to recognize that I'm here to light his path, not blind his eyes? I am the lighthouse. I'm the lighthouse. The path you choose is perilous. Destruction lies ahead if you delay. Words really do matter, don't they? That took place in the midst of World War II. But we are in the midst of a war. Not a military offensive between the USA and someone else, but a battle for our worship the tensions of our everyday lives run high. And I want to submit to you this morning that God's Word, and in particular these words from 1 John, are a lighthouse for us this morning. We need the presence of God abiding in us. We need to know that God is for us. So, let's look at verse 16. By this we know love, that He laid down his life say this with me for us two very small English words for us and in those two words you have the gospel in a seed that grows into a mighty tree in your life for us Jesus at the last supper said this is my body broken for you As you eat it, remember me. This cup is my blood. I'm spilling it out for you. We need to know God is for us. In this intense battle you face, and if you're not feeling it at the moment, at some point you will. You face every day skirmishes, battles, choices, decisions, fears, temptations, sins. God is for us. There are three ways we can be certain God is for us. Really, I want to give you three weapons for your arsenal to know God is for you this morning. Number one, God is greater than our heart. We read it. It is true. God is greater than our heart. Number two, there is power in the name of Jesus. And number three, God abides with us through the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine that discussion between the captain of a U.S. naval destroyer? If I stood in front of a U.S. US naval destroyer this morning with you, and we just went, wow. I mean, power, big, equipped to do battle. And the seaman second class operating the lighthouse. Can you imagine a little discussion between that captain and the seaman after this ordeal was over? The more decorated officer thinking, if only I had known you were just doing your job, sir. You were not designed to be in combat against me, but to help me. You are not my enemy. You're the only messenger sending out a warning to all ships coming in to avoid the rocks and steer clear towards the harbor of safety. I thought I knew you were just another ship. How many times do you have questions rise? How many times do I have questions rise up in my heart God are you for me or are you against me do you, do you really I know I'm not supposed to say this but do you really see me here going through these trials I know I'm not supposed to question you but how can I know you are with me right now here in our text this morning, John is the seaman second class. He's the messenger. And knowledge is important to John. Look how he begins in verse 16. And look how he ends this portion. Three times he says knowledge, knowing something here is important. Verse 16, by this we know love. Verse 19, by this we shall know. And in the end of verse 24, and by this we know there's going to be some evidence that we know something. Here it is true. Knowledge is power in this place. And what's so powerful for us to know? Knowledge itself? What's the power behind the way we fight the good fight and live this Christian life here on this earth, here in Miami Lakes, here in Hialeah? John tells us, by this we know that we are of the truth and truth reassure our hearts before Him. Wow! What a powerful certainty for you to stand up today and say, I am sure of this, but I have been reassured and my heart needed to be reassured that God is for me. We can actually know we truly belong to God and this knowledge provides reassurance of our faith. When doubts come in, Like a flood. And isn't that how they come in? One right after the other. I just wonder, why couldn't it just be one little doubt that I can just deal with neatly and move on? It's just this, and then that, and then I'm all all the way over here with all of my doubts and all of my fears and concerns. But when those doubts come in like a flood, we withstand those evil lies with the truth, with the truth of God's Word. And it brings comfort. An assurance again to our hearts. The longer you are here at Palm Vista Community Church, the more you will discover Al and Corey telling you that it's all about the heart. Isn't that true? Because it's true. The longer you are a Christian, the more you will discover that while man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And the enemy of our souls this morning tactically knows where his onslaught should be focused. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For, look what it says, whenever our heart condemns us, it's all about the heart, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. If we just stop with it's all about the heart, you're going to be pretty discouraged. Look at your own heart for a minute. Stop. I think one of the most dangerous prayers that we could pray is, Oh God, show me your heart, and then show me my heart. Uh oh. Problem. Perfect, holy God. I'm a sinner. Big canyon in between. How am I going to get from here to the glory of God? All oh, have sinned and fall short of that kind of glory and perfection and holiness. Well, whenever your heart condemns you, it is comforting to know God is greater than your heart and he knows everything. He already knows all that you're going to tell him. And God reveals something very key about himself. He knows everything. Think about that, about your God. He knows everything. He's not... Shifting his weight in his throne right now, uncomfortable that uh oh i hope I hope this is going to go well today in the world he's not he's not afraid he's he's God, all knowing omniscient, he knows it all, he's a know it all and and without sinning, you can sit in all of that truth today and let that just sink in for a moment not, not just let's not just know it, let's be humbled by that. You don't know everything. Any of you have teenagers? I have one now in my house. And with his permission, I would tell you that sometimes it would appear he knows everything. He's just like his daddy when I was a teenager and sometimes now at 39. We can just think, well, I know what to do and I'll take care of it. I'm self-sufficient. I can do that. I, I need help. I know that. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Yeah, I know. Well, truth is, pal, you're limited. We are finite. We have boundaries. We have limitations. That's how we are unlike God. You hear messages where we're like God and how we can be like God and, and like little gods. It's, you know what? We need to spend time seeing how we are not like him so we can appreciate that he's greater. Greater than our hearts. I'm, I'm finite. He's infinite. I'm limited. Unlimited. I am measured. Every one of us has limitations. He doesn't. And so, we know boundaries. No one can measure him. And what is humbling about that, in spite of the fact that he knows everything about me, he's chosen to cover my sin. That's amazing love. So when you read, God is greater than your heart, you need to also read, and he knows everything. If we could display this morning to your joy all of everything in your heart at the moment that has happened just in the past week, it would be important for us to all yell loudly, God is greater than my heart and he knows everything. <laughs> Satan's number one tactical weapon in this battle is doubt. We can see doubt is a subtle Scheme. It's one of his plans. Let's just study the attack patterns of our enemy here. Satan, the world, our own flesh. John speaks of the world, the flesh, the devil. Here's the scheme. Doubt. It's a subtle one. Otherwise, why would we need to be reassured? That's in there for a reason. We need to be reassured. If you're sure this morning about your faith in Jesus Christ alone, let us reassure ourselves. Let us, as Jerry Bridges says, preach the gospel to ourselves. A wolf will try to separate the sheep or a little lamb from the flock and more importantly, lure them away from the shepherd who has that big staff to beat the wolf away. I have good news for you. Our shepherd is not buying that trick. Look as John goes on to explain the gospel. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Number two tactical weapon here that has been formed against us is accusation. So you've got doubts being hurled at you. You've got accusations which often are true. This is because of the propensity to condemnation from our own hearts. I so appreciate this word of encouragement that came this morning that Cindy brought about there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Big tactical weapon of your enemy is to accuse you as a Christian and to remind you of the truth of your past and try to somehow siphon that into the present and into your future not only is God greater than our heart, He's greater than the devil. You know, that's the gospel right, right in front of our eyes. The enemy of our souls takes the truth, twists it like a knife. Whenever your heart condemns you, under that kind of attack, God is greater. Now, why have I led us here in the message? Let's get to the abiding presence of God. Let's talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Todd. Let's let's get to that. I want to stand and be filled with the Spirit again. Well, amen. So do I. And we will. It is important for us to know who is abiding in us and how he gets there in the first place. The one who abides in us is greater than us, greater than our hearts, greater in his knowledge. And he knows everything about us, and that is what grants us unbelievable assurance. We have been forgiven by the blood of his Son. This is a great time to quote what John will say in chapter 4, verse 4. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Talk about the abiding presence of God. There is no weapon formed by the world, your own flesh, your own fleshly cravings and schemes and desires and temptations and sins, or from the devil himself, that will prosper. None of those weapons are going to work when we have the abiding presence of God in us. Amen? Who is in us? Who is greater than us? Who is greater than he that is in the world? Look back at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you, for me, for us. God is for us. John is not just imparting cold words to us. He's not just communicating about Jesus to us. It wasn't too many years before he wrote this. Think about where John was standing. He was with Jesus. He was with the Savior. This is John who reclined at the table during the Last Supper, with Jesus. This is John, the beloved disciple. He was standing there as Jesus' friend, the only one of the bunch of guys that huddled around him during his three years of earthly ministry. He the only one standing there as the friend of Jesus at the cross. In fact, as his master was crucified, Jesus trusted John with the care of his mother, Mary. And we can trust him when he writes about the Son of God laying down his life for us. John has really said something to us. Do you see the Trinity at work here? Look at it. God is greater than our heart. And we have confidence before God, the first person of the Trinity. God, the Father Almighty. And we believe, John writes, in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, whose atoning sacrifice paid for all of our sins. And then we know he abides in us through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The third person of the Godhead. All three persons of the Holy Trinity on display right before our eyes in these words. God is present in these words. Now, right there, you can be full of assurance. Reassure your heart With this truth, the next time you wake up and face a battle, a battle that threatens to steer you off course, to cripple your faith in an unfaithful world, to get discouraged in your own battles and in your progress with God or lack of progress in your walk with Him. Reassure your heart. How do we do that? I'm telling you to reassure your heart with this truth. How is that practically done? Well, God the Father is on your side. God the Son paid for all of your sins. And God the Spirit is with you. Our comforter. When we sang, my comforter, my all in all, he's all I need. I mean, look at your weapons arsenal. Standing behind you. It's a pretty big God. So whatever you're facing, they're going to be looking at you. They're going to be going, whoa. I guess I better leave him alone. I guess I'll leave her alone this time. Number three, tactical weapon against us that we can see in this text really would be lies. And some of this is just logically, we are inferring from here, what what would a lie be? A weapon formed against us. Maybe one like this. God is distant. He's not with you. He's not for you. He's distant. How do I find lies as a destructive force in this passage? Well, anything that is attacking the knowledge of the truth, by this you shall know the truth, that's a lie the opposite of the truth. And so our enemy continues his full onslaught and assault with lies. God is not for you. Did God really say? Oh yes, God is watching you, but he's watching you from a distance. From a distance? That's a bad song all around, by the way. <laughs> Let's just go back to the early 90s and sing for a moment. He is God is not watching you from a distance. It's not happening. He's in the room. He's not distant. He's not far off. He is a lighthouse of peace and safety, sending out His warning light right here to steer us into the harbor of safety. That is reassuring. I would say you have quite an arsenal in your call to war. So, armed with the truth of this amazing God, armed with the truth, of his atoning sacrifice in Jesus Christ, let us spend the remainder of our time this morning talking about the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. We know God is for us. And now we consider that God is not only for us, but he is in us as well. Look at verse 24. Here's where we will spend our time. Whoever... Keeps his commandments, abides in God, and God in him. It says it right there, in you. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Here, I really do want to dramatically slow down. I've been guilty of reading this passage too quickly. And moving right on to test the spirits, see that God is love. Finish First John by overcoming the world. Amen. I finished my reading for the year. But God packed verse 24 full of explosive truth. When you begin slowly reading, it, this is the case for me. As I prepared this for this morning, as I began to slowly consider these words, and meditate on them, I begin to feel the impact of these words of life. And honestly, I get weak in my knees. Look at what it says. Whoever. Whoever. There is no condition there. If you just read that and excluded yourself, stop. Whoever. God does not make a decision to abide with some of His children and not to abide with others of His children. No matter who you are no matter what you are going through, if you have received the gospel of salvation in Christ alone, as we sang, you are one of the whoever mentioned. Does that reassure your heart? That whoever includes you. Put your name there. Lie of the enemy, that somehow you're an exception. That the whoever most certainly could not include you. When you hear that lie from Satan, just turn around and say to him, read it and weep. That's me, right? I'm in there. Whoever. That's me. You yourself. And listen, I don't want to overly emphasize and focus on Satan and his schemes. We have a very real enemy in our very real world. And we have a very real conqueror standing with us. Amen. So, you yourself read it and weep. You are included, you are accepted. Belong to the Lord. Whoever. That will be important to remember this morning when we come to pray for some to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and for God to fill us with his gifts and power. Well, I've prayed before and nothing ever happens. So we pray again. A confident prayer of faith. Lord, you promised whoever. Whoever keeps his commandments. Now, when I read that word, the commandments, whoever keeps his commandments, I think of the ten commandments in the Old Testament on the, the stone tablets that God used Moses to write, smash, rewrite. And perhaps if you go to the New Testament, you could think of the time Jesus said, and, and what is the greatest commandment is, is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment, it's like it, you love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what John's talking about here. That love of God and one another is in view. Verse 23, we believe in Jesus Christ and we love one another. It just goes together like breathing air. What is it, by the way, that believers do? They believe. talked about that some this morning. When you come to God, do so believing as one of the whoever. In fact, verse 22 makes a bold claim. We can get a little uncomfortable with this. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, if you wonder whether you are one of the whoever, and you ask, how can I cross that canyon between sinful me and awesome holy God? How can I cross that ocean of my own sin toward the holiness of God? Will I ever get there? Well, John gave us verse 23. This is his commandment. That you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he commanded us. Notice the central and elevated place of God. This passage is about God. As all scripture is. And I can't help from. but go back to the first point. God is for us. You have all three persons of the Trinity at work. God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit, closely mentioned. God is at work here in this passage, and God is at work this morning among us. He hasn't changed. That's reassuring right there. We can't love one another without His help. Even so, there is no abiding presence of God without God. So our main character in this passage is And the main character in all of Scripture is God. Now remember, back in the Gospels, at the birth of Christ, you shall call His name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. So fast forward past the cross to the ascension of Christ. Jesus stands there on the mountain and as He's ascending, You hear Emmanuel giving this great commission. Remember how he ended? This promise. And behold, I am with you. Even till the end of the age. That is a great promise, isn't it? By the way, what part of Psalm 23 is most precious? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? Because you're with me. Because you're with me. There comes a simple and bold declaration by John in verse 24. By this we know. There will be evidence. And there will be a distinguishing mark. This will be the answer to our question we asked at the beginning. How do we know God is with us? Not only is he for us, but he who is for us, is now in us. Look at how God promised this to us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. To the one who believes, God has made this promise to abide in you. And now you abide in God, the God who's never changed. This is God who presided over the exodus of Moses and the children of Israel who brought them from slavery in Egypt into the wilderness and declared He would remain with them and lead them to a promised land. Same God. Our God. John uses the word abide. in Verse 24. Abide. Think about that word for a moment. Think about what that means to us. Abide. It is an English word that we don't regularly use anymore rightly defined this word abide in its simplest form and in the context of this passage means to dwell to live among perhaps you've heard of someone's house being called their abode what a picture the ten commandments the old testament the children of israel In the wilderness, camping out, three million people in the middle of a desert, with a God who instructs them to build a tent so that He can come down and live in a tent among them. To be with them, to remain in the midst of them, stay with them, abide with them. Already, Emmanuel at work. God is with us. Think about this. Didn't they live in a harsh atmosphere? It was a harsh place, harsh reality. The harsh atmosphere was the wilderness itself wild, dry, hot, dusty, sandy, no AC. The weather not particularly conducive to growing any crops that could sustain you. No supermarkets around, no tiendas, no shopping malls or internet stores, no Facebook, no Twitter, <gasps> no GPS you pretty much had what you were able to carry with you on your quick exit out of egypt even your bread was flat <laughs> you have this old Te- old testament picture of the presence of god okay among the children of israel wandering in the wilderness the presence of god at the tabernacle saying i'm never going to leave you alone how did they know god was with them when you think of the people of God wandering around in that wilderness, you need to think of that pillar of fire over the tabernacle by night and the pillar of cloud in the daytime. Can you imagine waking up and coming out of your tent and seeing that first thing? Oh, yeah, he's still with us. Whew. I had to go to sleep, but he didn't sleep. He's right there. He's with us. Oh, the cloud's getting up. Pack up the bags, everybody. Come on. Hurry up. Let's go. we got to film. The cloud's moving. Let's go. He abides with us and we abide with him. So let's go. He's moving. That was the way he directed them. That's evidence of his abiding presence. In fact, as I considered this, God even made an outrageous claim back in Exodus. I'm going to heal all of your diseases. None of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians are going to come upon you. Because I'm with you. Now that is a government health plan. They had their own personal physician right there who never failed for 40 years. And here's what I want us to see. Same God of the Old Testament is God in 1 John. Same God. And He's given us as His children an array of powerful, tactical weapons to use in our daily struggles with the world. God made provision for them with his presence. First, you've got this phenomenal GPS. You come outside, imagine this. You're peeking out, out of your tent, See the pillar of fire at night. I don't know if I'd want to go to sleep or I guess eventually I'd have to, but I just want to go, wow, look at that. Sitting around, looking at the light. There he is hovering over the tabernacle. Oh yeah, he's still with us. Whenever that pillar gets up, we move, we follow. Look at Exodus. Well, we can see it here. Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud, to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So we have this tactical weaponry, this guidance with this Holy Ghost GPS system Right here over the tabernacle. And he sustained, number two, he sustained their clothing miraculously. Ladies, you're going to love this. Look at Deuteronomy 29 verse 5. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out and your sandals have not worn off your feet. What am I going to wear in the wilderness? (laughs) The same thing you did yesterday, but it's going to last for 40 years. And see these shoes you came out from Egypt. I'm going to stay in those and I'm going to sustain. That's unbelievable provision. Can you imagine trusting God, not watching your clothing wear out like that? Well-made clothes. Phenomenal GPS, fancy footwear, and food to boot. I know some of you guys are really concerned about this at the moment. Oh yeah, what about food? Important provision. Think about it. Feeding three million people a day for 40 years in the wilderness is no small task. God brought down manna every morning for 40 years. They knew God was with them in some very practical ways. Now why am I saying this? Why is this important to 1 John? Look at the scripture on manna. Exodus 16.35 The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. When God powerfully showed Moses his presence and practically showed his people his provision. He was causing his glory to pass before their eyes. Moses, in reality, an amazing experience with God and his people every day. You walk out, there's some more food, let's go get it. Moses even said, if your presence does not go with us, do not take us up from here. I mention those three things because God who hasn't changed is the one you can trust with the direction for your life, His leading in your life. Do you trust His provision today, along the way? How do we know God is with us this morning? What sets us apart from any other people? What makes the difference this morning? His abiding presence. What I'm saying is, what sets us apart as the people of God is the presence of God. That's what makes a difference. What sets apart the people of God is the abiding presence of God. Not just an experience, but day after day after day. He sustains us. He supplies all of our needs. He comforts us. He gives us strength to go on and run the race. And he gives us these weapons in our battles against the world, the flesh, and the devil. In other words, the people of God know the presence of God through the Spirit of God. And John ends... Let's make the connection from the Old Testament to the New, from Exodus to 1 John. What is the New Testament picture of God's abiding presence? Do you remember Pentecost? Remember that day? When you think of the people of God in the New Testament, we really need to make this connection that the old pillar of fire over the tabernacle for everyone. Then we come to the New Testament, and what was happening in the upper room? When a mighty rushing wind came, little pillars of fire appear over the heads of individuals and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. God's abiding presence is with us again. He will lead us on to the promised land. Same God hasn't changed. Amazing power, provision, It's the evidence of the abiding presence of God in this age. Isn't it true that we all go through the harsh reality of different experiences and seasons of life? We may even use the terminology. Have you ever said this? Well, I'm really going through a dry time right now. I I feel like I'm experiencing a wilderness of sorts right now. What do you do in the midst of that harsh reality, that harsh atmosphere, and the harvest time is over and you still see no crops growing? What do we do? Well, the truth of God's Word brings us hope and gives us joy and reassures our heart before Him that despite what you may be experiencing or feeling or going through during those times of harsh reality, we should realize we're part of a body of believers in a local church that pray for one another. We remind one another of the truth. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us and remind us God is with us through the Spirit who abides in us. God hasn't changed, but sometimes we lose that GPS. We, we get out of the... T- what, what am I doing today? Oh Lord, I seem to have so much faith. Yesterday and now this coming up. The Israelites had that outward symbol. The phenomenal GPS. Whenever the cloud... Pillar of fire moves, they they move, that's pretty clear. By comparison, we still have this today. Our GPS, the inward reality of the presence of God in the person of the Spirit, that's amazing. He is amazing. What a provision. He's not distant. Right here, right now, through the Spirit, living in our hearts. Look, the practical application as we go to pray this morning. And I trust you're filled with faith as we pray. This would be the presence of God coming through the power of the Spirit enabling us to recognize His provision for us to respond in worship, to believe your presence is with us through the Spirit and then employ the gifts of the Spirit under the Spirit's direction. Paul agreed with John when he instructed the church in 1 Corinthians 6.19. He said, Or do you not know that your body... It's now the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. That's Jesus laying down his life for us. So let's walk away this morning with the second main point being God is in us. The people of God know the presence of God through the Spirit of God abiding in us. And that's John's last phrase. Look at what he says in the end of verse 24. By the Spirit whom He has given us. What a generous God. Not only has He provided all we need in His Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation, Christ returns after that ascension to sit down at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and says, Dad, send Him the Spirit. Can you imagine that moment, leaning over, Father? Because he told them, I will ask the Father, and he'll send you another, like me, he'll comfort you, and he'll guide you, it's a GPS, he's going to guide you, you don't know where you're going, he's going to guide you. Father, send them the Spirit, send our people, the Holy Spirit, Father, these people I've, I've with my own blood ransomed and redeemed so that they could be brought to you. Thank you for sending me into the world. For what love you've had for them. Now, send them the Spirit. Note that word, by the Spirit whom He has given. There's a gift involved. He will never leave us. Instead of being forsaken, He fills us with the gift of His Spirit. Instead of our being empty, vacío. He empowers us. Look at the gifts of God that grow in the lives of those who believe. Right here in the text. These are the fruits of someone who knows God is for them and abides in them. Confidence. Look at verse 21. We have confidence before God. A boldness that comes from having a clean conscience. That kind of boldness will make a difference in the way you go out right now to your lunch and share the gospel with your waiter or waitress. That kind of confidence that you share the gospel with the lost. Look at verse 22. What else is a fruit of His abiding presence? Power in prayer. Before the meeting this morning, back behind here somewhere, there is a prayer meeting. I encourage you to come early and pray. There is power in prayer that comes from God's abiding presence through His Spirit. Whatever we ask, we receive. Let's all show up next week for that prayer meeting. And and let's ask God, specifically, to fill all of these seats. Why? Because we want to be big? No, because God is big. Because we want everyone we can drag in here to hear about God's abiding presence through the work of His Son. We want to hear that that's possible. That God chooses and elects and saves and draws and fills and empowers us for our lives. You have someone living next to you that you've just been thinking about. And you haven't really said anything yet. Ask God for the boldness to go over there. Hey, look, I know I see you and wave to you. But I just wanted to introduce myself and say, is there anything I can pray for? Where does that kind of boldness come from? Where, where does that power in prayer then come from? And stand back, by the way, as you're praying for them. Hey, could I pray for you right now? Would that be all right? Is that uncomfortable for you? Yeah? Is that okay anyway? Oh, we'll pray for them. And then stand back and watch the Spirit of God work. Watch Him affect them with His presence. Uh, another, another fruit from God's abiding presence would be godly living. Look at verse 22 as well. Because we keep His commandments and we do what pleases Him. If you've got conviction this morning about the way you're living... You can come to God and say, Lord, I know your abiding presence is going to make a difference in my life. Please help me to live in a godly way. Help me to keep your commandments. We don't get saved through keeping his commandments and keeping the list of things that we must do to please him. Jesus already did that. This is not legalism. This is grace. We're not under law. We're under grace. That kind of grace is powerful as you live your life for God. And finally, you've got the gift of his presence. That is a fruit of His abiding presence. Let me conclude by saying this. Gifts are meant to be received. As you go on to maturity in your walk as a believer, increasing in knowledge, reassuring your heart before Him, I just want to let you know it's easy to forget that God has said it's not by your own strength, not by your power, but by my Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you've never had the experience of someone praying for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. and I I know this morning that we could all come from a variety of backgrounds along the spectrum of Christian and non-Christian history, but it is undeniable the thing which has always set apart the people of God is the presence of God with them. And the people of God know His presence through His Spirit. So we we had a time of prophetic ministry on Friday night. I'd like to ask the band, if you could, to please come. I've been thinking about a particular group of people that perhaps may be here this morning. And you would say, you know when you say that word reassurance, I have really been struggling in my heart with assurance. You could possibly be one who is listening to this message this morning and mostly, listen, mostly agreeing with what I have said. But truthfully, you are discouraged and wonder if God is really for you and really in you at all. I'm going to close with an illustration that I believe is for us. I am so eager for us to cry out to God for the activity of His Spirit abiding with us this morning. Do you know the legend of the Cherokee Indian youth's rite of passage? His father takes him into a forest. This young teenage youth blindfolds him and leaves him alone. He was required... To sit on a stump of a tree the whole night and not remove his blindfold until the rays of the morning sun shone through it. He could not cry out for help to anyone, and once he survived the night, he would be a man. (coughs) He was not allowed to tell the other boys of his experience because each lad must come into manhood on his own. The boy was naturally terrified. If you took a 39-year-old man out there right now and did that to me, he'd be terrified. You've got big iguanas and things around here, you know? I just hear him rustling around. He can hear all kinds of noises as he sits on the stump, sweat pouring the His face. Wild beasts must surely be all around him. Maybe even some human might do him harm. The wind blew the grass and the earth and shook his stump, but he sat stoically, never removing his blindfold. It would be the only way he could become a man. Finally, after a horrific night, the sun appeared, and he removed his blindfold. He made it. It was then that he discovered his father sitting on the stump next to him. He had been at watch the entire night, protecting his son from harm. We, too, are never alone. Even when you may not feel it, even when you don't know it, God is watching over you. His creation, and he is with his people, sitting on a stump beside you. Perhaps that group of people I mentioned would actually feel the absence of God's presence. That, that's the feeling. An absence, not, not not his presence. Well the reality is this He is present this morning. He will never leave or forsake His children. His abiding presence means that no matter what you are feeling, His presence is with us always without condition. You may not have the pillar of fire over your life, but you've got His Holy Spirit to lead you, guide you into truth, comfort you, sustain you, and illuminate the Word of God. So, isn't it easy to want to take the blindfold off before the morning. Part of faith is trust. And part of trust is total dependence on God. Could we just stand? Coming under the influence of God, the Holy Spirit, I want you to know you have pastors this morning who are... <coughs> eager for the presence of God and eager for the activity of the Spirit and eager to pray for you. This is not a moment, if you truly belong to the Lord, where His gift to us is His indwelling Spirit. There is not a moment where you are ever alone. So if you are part of that group where you have been struggling with assurance and struggling with, Lord, are you absent? I'd like for you as we sing to make your way up to the front and let your pastors begin to pray for you and home group leaders as well, if necessary. This is a good reason to worship. You and I are never alone. God is with us now. Let's sing.